You're listening to Key Conversations for Leaders. This is episode number five. And welcome, everybody. Today, we're going to be talking about the five skills of effective leadership and controlling stress with leadership expert Richard Flint. In this episode, you're going to learn how you can't lead without a common vision. You're going to learn the right and wrong way to deal with a crisis, why you can't solve problems, how to take the fear out of confrontation, and the myth of working better under pressure, and much, much more. Leadership is about vision. It's about creating a vision and sharing that vision with others in a way that inspires them to walk with you towards its fulfillment. Along the way, leaders encourage, motivate, guide, and even challenge people to bring their best each and every day. And it's all done through conversations. That's what this show is about. Better conversations for better leaders. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Key Conversations for Leaders. I'm your host, John Ryan. And today we have a very special guest, Richard Flint. Richard is a keynote speaker and seminar leader addressing more than 200,000 people each year in business, sales, and leadership. He has helped companies increase leadership, morale, and productivity. And he's also helped individuals define and achieve their dreams Hey, thank you. It's great to be here. Awesome. Thank you for being here as well. You know, one of the things that we're focusing on today is is not only the stress that leaders are facing at all levels of the organization, but also what are the five key skills of effective leadership? And we're going to be doing a deep dive into that on this podcast. But before we dive into that, I do want to say, first of all, congratulations. I know that this year marks your 30th year in the speaking profession and and that's amazing you've been leading seminars and speaking professionally for three decades how would you, how did you get started on this path if you don't mind sharing with us a little bit about that no when i uh when i finished grad school i wasn't sure what i was going to do with my life it, what i wanted to do was to teach and i finished my undergraduate work in english and speech and did some practice teaching and decided I didn't want to hang out with these kids. So I, I went on to grad school and I finished grad school and I was offered uh, a position at Ohio University in Athens, Ohio, where I worked as the Baptist captain, campus minister and taught some courses in religion. And then from there, I went to Wayne State University in Detroit, uh, same thing, and then came to the place where Wayne State needed some of my salary back. Oh. I left the world of academia and I ended up on uh, the staff of First Baptist Church in West Palm Beach, Florida here, where I ran the counseling division for the church and was there for several years and wrote some magazine articles that got some international attention and started getting groups that would ask me if I would come share my, uh, my philosophies with them. And I did it on a very limited basis for a year and a half. And then decided one day this was a lifetime uh, dream and an opportunity I could not afford to pass up. So I, I'd had the, the belief, the trust, and the faith in myself that this was what I was supposed to do with my life. So I stepped into what people called the unknown and turned it into adventure. And for the past 30 years, I have traveled this globe from one end to the other, uh, sharing my research and my insights with people. And anytime I walk out on stage, 
or anytime I do anything that I do, I want three things for people. And, and this, is, this is my purpose foundation. I want people to be better. One of the things that I've learned is that it's very easy to get trapped in what I call the circle of sameness. Where, and leaders do this all the time, where they become comfortable with what is, and they refuse to deal with things within their organization till they become a crisis. And what people don't understand is when anything becomes a crisis, we deal with it from our emotions up. When things are a concern, we deal with it from our mind down. And anytime you and I deal with anything in life from our emotions up, we create conflict. We create confusion. Uh, and what we do is we create a self-destructive emotional environment. And the second thing I want for people is I want people to be smarter. I don't know if people understand this or not, but to me, the opposite of, of smart wisdom is stupidity. And stupidity is when I know what to do and I choose to do the opposite. Mm. I find that true in a lot of leadership, a lot of companies I've worked with. Because again, we get trapped in comfortable routines. So when change comes in, sort of like what the process or the place we're in right now, that change is coming at us. That what happens, rather than taking a deep breath and seeing change mentally as a way to improve, we look at the change, we pass it through our emotions, and it creates fear. And when fear comes in, we react to what we know we need to do. And being smarter means having a pace I can manage. It means having my eyes set on what we need to do to become better today than we were yesterday. And it means not being fearful to implement. Let me see if this makes sense to you and your listeners. Sure. There are only two foundations that we can build anything on. And this is true in business or in life. We either build it on belief, trust, and faith, or we build it on doubt, worry, and uncertainty. And what I'm finding today is that many of the decisions that are being made are being made through doubt, worry, and uncertainty. Because many, many people's belief has been uh, sort of shaken which means there's a crack in their trust and they don't have the faith to really step out into the unknown. And when I live with doubt, worry, and uncertainty, I'm paralyzed. I can see what I need to do. I can know I need to do it, but I won't do it. And the smart leader is one who understands everything that comes to us comes in the form of a possibility. And I've got to slow down, look at the possibility, and see if there's an opportunity in it. And if there's the opportunity, I make the opportunity my focus. But I can't do that. I'll never see the opportunity if I'm living in a world of doubt, worry, and uncertainty. And great leaders live with belief, trust, and faith, both in their self and in their people. So I want people to be better, I want them to be smarter, and I want them to be stronger. And strength to me is one of those things where 
you know your purpose. You know the reason you're doing what you're doing. And you have a solid commitment to do it. And by the way, anytime I go inside of a company and I take on basic companies every year and I work with their leadership, most of the time just redesigning uh, what they're doing. And the first thing I look at is, do they have a purpose? Do they really understand why they're doing what they're doing? And one of the negatives that I'm seeing today is that it used to be business put their emphasis on people, product, and profit, that order. But today, we have sort of reversed it, that we're putting our emphasis on profit, product, and people. And when we do that, we're messing up everything. We're getting out of sync with ourself. So when it, when it really comes to being that leader, I have to have a commitment to myself. And that part of that commitment is knowing my purpose. Because I can't ask people to follow me if I don't know where we're going. That makes sense. I think if we get this reversed, if we go from people, product, and profit, product, profit, product, and people, then so the whole thing is where does When you think of the purpose aspect, is that in the people area? That's where you got to start with the purpose. And is that a people thing over profit at that point? Well, that the purpose is the vision. I, and one of the things I've, I've taught for years is that there is a dimension beyond leader that we don't teach. And that dimension right above leader is visionary. Every company needs a visionary. And that's the top level. And then underneath that, there's a level of leaders that the visionary then shares their vision with. And the leaders become responsible for taking that vision and taking it down to the people. Now, to be able to achieve that, it means not only do we have a purpose and a vision, but we have a common agenda. We are together in this. I, I walk into so many rooms where the leadership is there, and one of the first things you pick up on is that there's not a common agenda. That this is my idea, this is my idea, this is my idea, and we don't have that connection point where we're all there and we support the agenda. And without an agenda, there's no, pro there's no clear communication. Without an agenda, common agenda, it becomes the wild west. And without a common agenda, the people are confused because they're getting mis mixed messages. Now, to solidify that purpose and agenda, then we have to have that common commitment. I have to know you have my back. That when you walk out of this room and when we walk out into this world of business, we know the reason we're in. We know what we want to achieve. And we've got a foundation of belief, trust, that we we put the agenda in place that says this is how we're going to do it. And then we commit ourselves to moving forward with this purpose and with this agenda. And if you don't have that, everything breaks down. And that's what I watch in companies today is that things begin to break down. So with the vision, so leaders really to unify the people 
to make sure the product is on mission and and then have the profits come as a result to take care of those first two, it really begins with that purpose and vision. And if you don't have that, if you're not striving for that and bringing that in, the other things are going to be disorganized and all go in different directions. Like you said, there's no agenda, there's no common vision, and, and things begin to fall apart. That's true. And that's exactly what it is. But that purpose has got to realize, that vision has got to realize, how are we going to accomplish this? And we accomplish this through having the right people, the right product, and understand that profit is a reward of quality people doing a quality job of taking care of the customer. And if, if we have this in sync, then what we have is we have a process that we can go forward. You know, when I go inside of companies, I can know whether this is in place or not. Because I look for, I see four things that consistently destroy companies. And these are there because we don't have the right order. Inconsistencies. And inconsistencies is where there's a right way and a wrong way. One day we do it the right way. The next day we do it the wrong way. And no one's there to correct. Hmm. So what we say is our way of doing things has inconsistency built into it. And beyond the inconsistencies, there are inefficiencies. Where, and you've probably done this in your life. You've had something in your life. You thought you were done with it. Off your desk. You're free. You're going to go on. And you turn around and it's right back in front of you again. Sure. Okay. And that inefficiency is, is there. And the inconsistency in the inefficiencies are people issues. Third thing that I found destroys companies. They got the wrong people. Hmm. Uh, someday, someplace, somehow you talk about this, but I can break a company up into three groups. Sponges who are new people who don't know enough, to, enough not to be excited. And they come to work every day, eager, excited, wanting to learn. Spectators are those people who go to work every day, not to work, but to watch. And these are the people who simply have a job. And I define a job as an environment that a person goes to where they prostitute themselves for a paycheck. They're there for the money. They're not there to support the company. And then you got a third group that I call camels, who are the backbone of the company. And these are the people you depend on. The reality today is we're wearing our camels out. Because leadership won't face, won't face the spectators. They're not developing the sponges. They're just dumping everything on the camels. So, and, and this is a lot of your work individually and working with companies is actually helping people to understand the effect of stress on the individual and the organization. Can you tell us more about, you know, how that affects the camels that, that are the, really the backbone, as you said, of the organization? Well, that comes into the fourth thing that destroys companies, and that's, that's tired leadership. Let me tell you something. Most companies today are designed to exist through crisis, not grow through their common purpose, common agenda, common commitment. I mean, I'm known for my philosophies. And uh, every day for... 30 plus years of my life, every morning when I get out of bed, I write a philosophy that governs my life for one day. And my top three philosophies that I'm known, at, known for around the world are these. Number one, 
behavior never lies. The essence of truth is not what someone says, it's what they do. I, I watch and listen to what people say, but I study their behavior because behavior cannot lie. Number two is that the purpose of any great leader is to create a, pro, a positive presence that has presence when they're not present. You know, I have so many leaders who tell me, man, I can't be away from my company because if I'm away, the, in, the, the, the Indians are going to take over. And, and I tell them, you can't leave because you don't have a presence of respect. And then the third philosophy, which to me is really strong, anything you don't confront, you validate. And most people in a leadership role are not leaders. They're particular. Because a leader is a person who leads through leadership. And a participant is someone who looks at what needs to be done and then puts their blinders on. And then when everything around them explodes, then they try to come in and fix it. I get so many people who tell me, will you come in and fix my company? And I go, no, because if I fix it, it's going to break again. One guy told me, I'd love for you to come work with my company, company, but leave me alone because my people are the issue. And I said, okay, I'll come in. We'll get your people healthy. We'll all leave and we'll leave you alone. <laughs> but the, the stress comes when we take a concern and we turn it into a problem. Your, your listeners need to learn this, that a concern is something that says, I need to pay attention to this. A problem is a situation or event that started as a concern and I pushed it aside and it gathered emotions and now it's emotionally charged. Any problem within an organization is because leaders were so busy being busy being busy, they didn't slow down, look, listen, and learn from the concerns and address them while they were concerned. And so what happened? They gained emotional strength, and they reached a place where their, their emotional garbage can just bubbled over. And the interesting thing is, you can always resolve a concern. It's rarely you can resolve a problem. Hmm. Tell me, tell me more about that, if you don't mind. Well, uh, a concern is, I know that the, there is an action that needs to be taken. Mm -hmm. So I approach a concern from my mind out. I walk into the concern with my eyes and my ears open, listening. And I'm listening for one thing. What's the pathway to resolution? I've never seen a concern that could not be resolved. But if I don't resolve it, then what happens? It doesn't go away. It lays there and it festers. How does it fester? It gathers more and more negative emotions. And the more negative emotions it gains, the bigger the issue becomes. And now we got a problem. And a problem we work with from our emotions up, a concern we work with from our mind down. And when something in our life becomes emotional, it's hard to communicate effectively through. 
because when it's a problem, I don't want to hear what you say. I just want you to listen to what I'm saying. So it becomes a reactionary environment where when I'm dressing as a concern, it becomes a resolution-driven environment. So the idea of a concern versus a problem, is that your perspective on the situation too, or is it the size of it that also determines whether it's escalated to that problem situation? It's probably, it's probably both. Uh, a concern is when I notice an area where we can improve. Now, what I can do there is I can either look at it and bring my people together, and together let's work through this and find how we can improve. But if I don't deal with it, and most of the time we can sense, feel, and hear concerns from our people, okay? But if I'm so busy being busy being busy, that I don't have time to deal with the concern, then what I'm doing is I'm saying, this is not an issue I need to deal with right now. I don't need to listen to what my people are saying. I got enough on my plate that we can get back to this. And most of the things we're gonna get, we're gonna get back to, we don't get back to because they get buried under everything else. So you really have to bring that philosophy into your everyday experience of if you're not confronting the concerns, you're actually putting more energy into it. You're validating it and allowing it to get bigger. And then once it blows up and becomes a problem, then we're doing it from emotions up rather than head down. Yeah. And from the emotions up, people don't listen. People don't listen. I mean, how many times have you heard this? How did we get here? Mm -hmm. What happened? Man, who made this mess? And it's all because we were so busy. And most of the time, most of the time, it's because we got our, our philosophy backwards. We're working from profit, product to people, rather people, product to profit. And when profit is the most important, I don't listen to my people. That makes sense. Because your priorities yeah. are off. And one of the toughest things I have in teaching and working with any person is to teach them the value of pace. That pace is the, the mental and emotional speed by which we live. And if I live from my emotions up, most of the time, I don't manage the day, it manages me. If I'm living from my mind down, I walk in with that purpose, agenda, and commitment at the forefront. And I control my day rather than my day controlling me. How important then, it sounds like stress management and taking care of your mindset has got to be a pretty high up there in terms of what's important to a leader. Yeah. You know, my, my very first book I, I wrote, and I've written 19 books. My very first book I wrote was entitled The Truth About Stress. The most challenging aspect of writing this book was defining the word. Stress? Yeah. I found 127 different definitions to the word stress. And I'm going to tell you, that was stressful. <laughs> I decided none of those say what I want them to say. So what I did is I wrote my own definition of stress. And my definition is very simple. Anything in life that makes you uptight. And 
That's almost every aspect of life. You're never going to have a day without stress. In fact, if I could come and take all the stress out of your life, you'd be dead in two and a half minutes. Medical fact. And you wouldn't have any stress. You wouldn't have any stress in your life. True. That's a good point. Right. So it's not about eliminating stress. If someone comes to you and says, you need to eliminate all the stress out of your life. They want you dead. <laughs> the key is not to eliminate. It's to learn to control the stress. stress in book? Your life. Okay. What, what are some basic things that you share with the clients that you work with that helps them to control, as you said, the stress? Number one is understand the design of your life. You and I live in four rooms. We have a business room. That's our number one room of mental stress. I mean, we've all had days when we finish the day and it's hard to turn the day off. We can go home and the day's still with us. Your second room is your family room. And that's your number one room of emotional stress. Now, just with those two rooms, can you see how those two rooms can collide? Oh, right. yeah. Yeah. And then you got a third room, which is your social room, which is your playroom. It's where we have to do, go to learn to unwind. And people are not unwinding today, they're winding tighter. And so what do we do? We, we don't use the social room as a place to unwind, we use it as a place to vent. We use it as a place to escape. And most people don't know how to play anymore. And when you and I lose the child in our life, we get old. We get mentally and emotionally old. And then the fourth room in your life is your personal room. That's where you go to be by yourself. Now, here's my challenge. Stress is created at an overwhelming point when we get our rooms out of sync. Most people live business, family, social, and personal. When, if we're to control the stress in our life, it's personal, family, business, and social. Why? Because the personal room is where I go to be by myself. You know what's interesting? Every dream I've ever had in my life was born in my personal room when I was alone with me. And would you say that sometimes the most creative parts of your life is when you're alone with you? Yeah. You, you get free of the bounds and you just go inside and the world opens up. Yeah. You shut the world off. Mm -hmm. Or most of us, there's too much noise in our life. And I don't know about you, but it's hard to think when you've got all this noise coming at you from <laughs> all different aspects and everybody needs you and everybody's got a question. It's hard to think. It's hard yeah. to be creative. So that person yourself, I know some people, it's a bass boat. I know other people, it's working in their wood shop. I know other people, it's, you know, it's going to the gym for a walk. It's finding that place of silence in your life. But do you know how fearful for some people to be alone with their self? Yeah. It's frightening for a lot of people. 
You know, I ask people all the time, if you threw a party and only invited you, would you go? <laughs> I love that. Yeah, because a lot of people wouldn't go. But the strength to who you and I will become is dependent on the strength of our personal room. This really mirrors the, the same idea you said before about people, product, and profit. You have to put the people first. In terms of managing the four rooms, you got to start with your own room. That's it. I got to put myself, I got to put myself first. And people say, well, now, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're being selfish. And I'll tell you, yes, I am. I'm one of the most selfish people you'll ever meet. But, but I've heard you talk about this before, the difference between mature selfishness and immature selfishness. Can you elaborate more on that? Immature selfishness says, I'm going to come into your life. I'm going to take everything I want from you. And when I'm done with you, I'm going to throw you away. I'm going to steal your life from you. Mature selfishness says, I'm going to protect my life. I'm going to increase my presence. I'm going to increase my value. And my value is from my creativeness. It's from my creativeness I create my vision. It's from my vision I lay out my dream. It's from my dream I put together my purpose, my agenda, and my commitment. But it has to start with me. And my value to you, my value to any stage I walk out on, my value to any company that I walk into is that I have time to unleash the collective genius within me. Go ahead. And it's there. So if you're not taking care of your house, like you're saying, you're about to go on stage, you're about to go on a, a consulting gig or a coaching call or a mentoring call, and you're not in that space where you can give, it's because you didn't take care of your house first. That's correct. I did not allow myself to prepare. And you can always tell someone who's prepared because of one thing, a prepared person can always think on their feet. I like that. By the way, I love that distinction between mature selfishness. Such a great concept. Is that in, is that in the book? Yeah, the that's in the truth about stress. Truth about stress. Yeah, because that's so important. You know, it's okay to be selfish. It's okay to be selfish. As long as your selfishness is designed to improve who you are in order to increase the value. And when my value is there, I create that presence that has presence when I'm not present. Fantastic. I mean, think, think about this for a second. Have you ever had anyone in your brief time on the face of this earth, have you had anyone who's passed through your life, maybe not even alive today, maybe still alive, who had a major impact on who you are today? Oh, um, so many people. Absolutely. Give me well, one I, I will uh, say uh, my grandfather. My grandfather, no longer with us, um, but his stories, his character, and hearing about how he, he struggled in the 1920s and 30s as a kid and and how they came from nothing and, and you know and built his career and impacted people's lives in doing that. And it became part of my own culture, my own identity and self-belief. Okay, you know what you just told me? He's mm. still alive within you. Yeah. That's presence. And the role of a leader, the greatest thing that can be said about them is that they have a positive presence that is present when they're not present. 
Because if you don't have that, you don't have respect. If you don't have that as a leader, you don't have longevity. You don't have that as a leader, you're a participant. And, and you're validating the concerns and they grow into problems. Yeah. So, so clearly taking care of yourself is, is really, it's, an, it's a must. It's a must. You have to be, have that mature selfishness that you mentioned. What are, what are some other skills that you think leaders really need to develop at this point in time to, to focus on people and then product and profit? I think all great leaders, uh, as far as I'm concerned, they have uh, five skills. And this is what separates them. And they're in one order. Because if you change the order, you lose the power. Number one skill is the ability to listen. You know, if I can't listen, I don't know how to communicate. What I do is I talk at people. Communication is a process that is always leading toward clarity and resolution. And so I have to listen. And the interesting thing is, I listen with my ears, I hear words, I listen with my eyes, and I hear behavior. The one I trust the most are my eyes. Because I hear the words being contradicted by the behavior. And as they say, actions speak louder than words. It's not what they say they're going to do. It's what they actually do. Behaviors never lie. Yeah, and that's my number one selling book, Behavior Never Lies. It's used all around the world with companies and corporations to instill within them that we have to become a company without contradiction. And the majority of contradiction is between what we say and what we do. Like we say, our people are important. And then we judge everything by our profit. Mixed message. 100%. 100%. Mixed message. So my very first skill is that I have to listen. My second skill is I have to communicate. Communication is not just yakking. It's learning how to ask the right questions and shut up. You study all great leaders, and what do they do? They communicate by listening. And by listening, they hear where people are. So I can create a purpose, an agenda, and a commitment where we can all be in this together. Because if a leader can't communicate, their presence is about being a dictator, where they tell you what to do. The Third skill, I think, is the toughest one for almost every leader I've ever seen, and that's confrontation. I think very few people like confrontation. And the reason they don't like it is they, they see confrontation as criticism. They see confrontation as beating on somebody with their wrongs. And I don't. I see confrontation as the skill of resolution. And if, if your listeners will hear what I'm about to say, I can take the fear out of confrontation. If I just practice three C's, I come to you and I say, you know what? I have a concern you and I need to address. Now, it's not your concern, it's mine. So I'm not attacking you. I'm simply putting in front of you a concern that I have. That's my first C. 
And here's what's causing my, my concern. That's my second C. It's not your cause, it's my cause. Now, both of these are using singular pronouns. I have a concern. Here's what's causing my concern. Now, my third C. What can we do to correct it? I'm not criticizing you. I'm not beating on you. I'm asking for you to help me. That together, let's resolve this. Now, if you refuse, then you know what you've told me? You're not going to share purpose, agenda, and commitment with me. And if you can't share purpose, agenda, and commitment with me, we can't move forward. We can't move forward. And, you know, when, when that's in place, that's telling you that someone needs to go. And I joke with people and I tell them, I can tell you how to fire somebody and have fun doing it. Take them to lunch and order theirs to go. Be the best lunch you've ever had in your life. <laughs> <laughs> but the reality is you never have to fire anybody. When they refuse purpose, agenda, and commitment, they're telling you they're not a part of what you're doing. And people ask me, how do you know when it's time to let somebody go? Two things. Number one, I create that positive environment filled with purpose, agenda, and commitment, and you don't support it. Number two, I take you home emotionally in my life when my day is over. Mm -hmm. And at that point, you know what's interesting? You own me, and I work for you. You don't work for me. That doesn't feel good at all. No, but that happens. Oh yeah, all the time. That happens. And, and then the next of our skills is delegation. You know, so many leaders are overwhelmed because they won't delegate. And I have found that there's two reasons leaders don't delegate. Number one, they don't trust the person they're delegating to. Or, number two, they're in, so insecure, they see this person as smarter than they are, and they fear them. But delegation is the ability to create time to spend on what you need to be spending it on. And by the way, delegation is how people learn. And, and people go, well, you know what? They may not do it the way I want them to do it. That's okay. I've, some of my greatest lessons I've learned are from my staff who have a better idea than I have, and I just got to be secure enough to not always have to be the winner. And they say, well, they're going to fail. My definition of failure is one word, fertilizer. Failure is fertilizer. And the purpose of failure, uh, fertilizer is for something to grow. The purpose of failure is growth. And I must let you fail in order to teach you to succeed. So when they don't do that, when they don't delegate, it is the emotions up again, whether it's uh, insecurity on someone else be doing it better and my ego getting bruised or the fear of failure. And when in reality that, that fear isn't there, it's actually just growth. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I doubt if your audience has ever heard this, but all emotions travel in, in threes. And I believe the mind sees in triangles. And so what we've taught for years is success and failure. 
So if I fail, I'm not successful. If I'm successful, I can't fail. But there's a third emotion you've got to put into this triangle. It's about success, failure, and defeat. And defeat is permanent. Defeat is when I never get beyond where life has knocked me down. Success is when I is when I've gotten up when life has knocked me down. All to me, success is is standing up and putting one foot in front of the other. And by the way, the last of these skills to me is decision making. You gotta make decisions and you gotta make them in a timely fashion. And sometimes I gotta understand that the decision I make can affect the purpose, the agenda, and the commitment. So I need to bring people into the decision-making process in order to what? Create the common purpose, common agenda, and common commitment. Beautiful. And if we don't do that, it's, it's because we're having the emotions coming up, we're not managing it from our head down, and we're not working on ourselves, taking care of our room, and putting people first. And we're not confronting it as a concern, rather we're letting it grow into a problem, which means that we're not confronting it, which means we're really validating it. Let me say this, and your listeners need to hear it. Stress is a silent killer. I think the majority of all human illness is a result of stress that controls us. We don't control the stress. Uh, two weeks ago, I lost one of my mentoring students because I take on basically five people a year and I am their mentor, not their coach. There's a difference between coach and a mentor, but I am their mentor for one year. And I told this young lady, you've got to get out of this environment that you're in because if you don't, it's going to kill you. And she didn't listen. She kept coming up with reasons why she needed to stay. And finally, we got to the place where she understood what I was saying, and she left, but the damage had already been done. And uh, they told her parents that the stress of what she was dealing with created her death. I'm so sorry for your loss. Yeah. I mean, great young lady, 38 years of age. Too young. Too young. But this is what I need people to understand. And these people that say, I work better under pressure, that is stupidity. That's not wisdom. We work better when we're controlling the stress in our life. In working with high performers, a lot of times they just resign themselves to the fact that stress is part of the job, that their ability to get results and get paid the big bucks that they're getting paid is because of their ability to tolerate that stress. What would you say to people with, with that type of thinking? Well, your listeners probably are not going to like what I'm about to say, but I've proven it through the people I work with. Many, many times your high achievers are the most insecure people you'll ever be around. They exude the fact that they have all of this, you know, this uh, success within them and they're this bleak, but most high producers, high achievers are on a mission to prove something. And in the process of having to prove, they can become self-destructive to their self. Because when I have to prove something to myself, John, and to people around me, then what am I doing? I'm saying I don't believe, 
I don't trust, and I don't have faith in me. So if I don't have that foundation, I'm working from my foundation of I doubt me. I'm worried that what you're going to think about me, and I'm uncertain. And if you put doubt and worry and uncertainty together in a human life, it creates unhealthy stress that can kill you. Well, this this coronavirus pandemic that we're dealing with right now is causing a lot of us to to really reevaluate what's important to us in life. And I think your message about people first, that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing right now. We're putting people first and we're making new decisions. And hopefully our listeners can take all the the tips and tricks and ideas that you've been sharing with us over the past 45 minutes or so and begin to focus on their room first to manage the emotions, manage the stress, head down. And really you start with the vision because it sounds like that's really where it begins. What if we just changed that just one thing? What if we went from, and this would be our equation, person, people, product, and profit. Put ourselves first. That's not, a, that's not a me overriding. That's mm-hmm. a me being prepared to help the people who come into my life. I love it. I love it. Person first. Person. And I'm the person. Put yourself first. You're the person. Otherwise, you're putting other people in front of you. And if you take care of other people before you take care of yourself, you're not going to have that much more to give. Yeah. And, and John, if we've raised any questions in the minds of your listeners today, and they'd like to just reach out to me, Richard at richardflint.com. Awesome. Maybe there'd be a time in some of their companies where they could use someone Fantastic. like me. Absolutely. And, and so you do consulting, you do mentoring for a select few as well. And, and I know you also do value adds. I know I saw your uh, morning minutes where you share your morning philosophies that you mentioned earlier. And you have a webinar coming up on May 7th. Yeah, and- very, very important webinar, John, because it's on this thing called stress. And I'm going to take probably one of the most realistic looks at stress that people have ever been through. It's May 7th, which is Thursday at 10 a.m. in the morning, but you got to go to my website, richardflint.com, and register for it. We've been averaging somewhere between five to 700 people every month on our webinars. Uh, and I think this month, I think we'll have the largest crowd we've ever had because I think people are realizing stress can kill you. And stop trying to get rid of your stress. Listen to my seven steps to controlling the stress in your life. Fantastic. And if they also want to buy your book, they can also pick it up at the Flint store at your website as well? Yeah, richardflint.com. Go to the uh, Flint store, go down and go to books. And it's right there. And there's also a bundle there that we're offering of my three dictionaries. I've spent years writing dictionaries of life. And we have one on human behavior, one on relationships, and one on leadership. It's all right there. It's on our website and everything. Fantastic. Richard, I want to thank you so much for spending time with us today. And I look forward to seeing you at your webinar. All right. You take care of yourself, okay? All right. Thank you. You too. To connect with Richard and sign up for that webinar on That Thing Called Stress, head over to richardflint.com and check out all the amazing resources. And until next time, develop yourself, empower others, and lead by example. Thanks for listening to Key Conversations for Leaders with your host, John Ryan. If you'd like to share your thoughts on leadership and be a guest on Key Conversations for Leaders, send an email to john at keyconvo.com and we can have a conversation about that. 
If you'd simply like to continue to listen to the show, make sure you hit the subscribe button for the latest in leadership conversations.